So I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to someone about sports, and then they say something, oh, that's right, you're a Packers fan. <laughs> we could be having a lovely conversation about football, talking about how the Vikings looked last week, how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can solve their quarterback problem, but then there's the moment where the Packers come up, and they remember that I'm wearing green and yellow every Sunday. Now, it's not that I don't talk about other things. It's not that my interests begin and end with the Green Bay Packers. But there are certain things about my life that signal to all you poor Vikings fans <laughs> that I root for a team that's 1-1 one and, one and not 0-2. Oh the kinds of things that I do set me apart. The decorations in my office, the fact that I'm watching football at a different time, the clothes that I wear, the way I talk about my team, other things. <laughs> we all signal to others the things that we're about by the kinds of things that we do. Your friends and family can point to your passions and interests without hesitation. Your coworkers probably know more about how you spend your free time than you would guess. Whenever you spend time with someone, whenever you interact with them for any length of time, you begin to see what they're about. You begin to see something of who they are. And we draw conclusions about people based on their interests and passions. If someone says that they like hard rock, you draw conclusions about them. If someone says they love woodworking, you begin to fill out the picture in your mind of who they are. It's what they're like, what they think, what they believe in, what they stand for. And we can't help it, it's, it's how our brains work. Because we were made to be passionate about things. We were made to be shaped and to grow around the things that we're passionate about. Passions for art and music mean that your schedule and life is often shaped around art and music. If you love watching sports, your schedule is often dictated by when the game is on. If you love coffee or breweries, your vacation will be structured around that in some way. And so when it comes to God's people, what are we passionate about? As Christians, we should all have a common interest, a common passion, something that's shaping and forming us, something that's dictating the schedule and rhythms of our lives. In the book of Titus, we find Paul writing for a similar reason to why he wrote to Timothy. Titus is a young pastor who's leading a church on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, and here in the second chapter, we find ourselves reading Paul's instructions to Titus on what it looks like for God's people to live together, what God's people are supposed to be centered around, passionate about. In the first, chapter, the first portion of chapter 2 is where Paul lays out the what, and then the second part is where he gets to the why. And he starts with what God, what's God's people are called to. We are called to be models. God's people are called to live as models of the gospel. God's people are called to live as models of the gospel. He writes, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, 
and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the, gospel, the doctrine of God, our Savior. Paul is starting here with an image, an image of general types of Christians. He's using broad categories because he's trying to communicate something that's meant for everyone. Older men and women, younger men and women. Who's not included? No one. Everyone from zero to 99 is included in this passage. And it, there are other sermons that we've done in the last few weeks that have dived a little bit deeper into these relationships, so I'm just going to keep speaking uh, in more of a 10,000-foot view to try and get at what I think Paul is, is saying here. Because Paul also uses the category of bond servant or slave, which was very common at this time uh, that this was written and is unfortunately still common across the world today. And so I'm not going to dive into that either this week due to the fact that next week's passage is going to be a better one to address this issue. So just like with every other hard thing I'm asked to do, I'm going to pass it off to Dean for next week. <laughs> but notice the words that he uses in this section. In verse 5, he says that the word of God may not be reviled. That God's word wouldn't be insulted because of how his people live. Or in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity dignity, and sound speech that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The way that we live and the things that we do are a model of the gospel for those inside and outside the church. So what is a model? It's an example. If I have a model ship sitting on my shelf, how do I know it's a model? Because I've seen what a real ship looks like. I know that what I'm seeing on my shelf is similar enough to how a real ship looks to know that it's a pretty good model. It has many of the same characteristics of a real one. It's got the right shape, most of the right details. Some are missing, but I don't need those to actually identify it. And here's the thing. I could tell you about this model ship. I could describe it to you, and I could even describe the ship that it's a model of, but what's going to be more helpful than my description? to see it for yourself, or to see the model as I describe it. That's what's going to help you understand. See, the gospel is both shown and told to those who know it and to those who don't. See, you need to be shown and told the gospel. It's a both and, not an either or. And we'll get into more into that in a second, but now, for now, let's look at who Paul is talking to. He's talking to Titus, a leader in the church who's trying to pull this community of Christians together and fight false teachers. And what's Paul concerned about? He spends more ink on how to make sure that everyone is doing the right things than on great talking points to take these false teachers down. Because good living comes from good belief, and good belief comes from good living. Think of it this way. You become a runner by doing the kinds of things that runners do. You become a person who's on time by doing the kinds of things that a punctual person does. You become an honest person by doing the kinds of things that honest people do. To be like a runner, you need to eat like a runner, keep a schedule like a runner, train like a runner, spend time around runners. 
to be a punctual person, you need to keep a calendar, set reminders, make sure that you have the time necessary to get somewhere and be self-controlled to do it. To be an honest person, you resist the urge to tell a half-truth. You apologize when you're dishonest. You have other people keep you accountable for those times when you are dishonest. The way that you live is not just to believe and preach the gospel. That's incredibly important. But it's doing the kinds of things that gospel people do. The kinds of things that God's people do. That's why Paul starts this section in the way that he does. Verse 1, he writes, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He starts by saying, hey, you need to teach what is good and right and healthy. And then he describes what it looks like to model good, right, and healthy teaching, to model the gospel. As we've seen from the last few weeks of our Thread series, it's important for the church that we act toward others in a way that's countercultural. It's important that we model the love, values, and life that we believe the Bible calls us to. And we need to not just believe it and live it, but believe it and live it so that we can pass it on. God's people are called to do gospel works to help them become gospel people that model a gospel life. This list isn't put together to be a quick checklist. Yep, did that. Got that one nailed. Yeah, that one's as close as it's going to get. This is a hard list. Be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, pure, teaching what is good, kind, etc. The list is not calling us to perfectly be this list, but to faithfully do the kinds of things that are on this list. And that takes relationship. It takes those who are more mature and further along in their faith, sharing their lives and spending time with those who aren't as far along. It's those who are in similar places in life coming together and bearing their struggles together, preaching the gospel to each other so that there's sharpening, seeing the kinds of things that gospel people do and doing them faithfully. But in this passage, there's also a, a different dynamic that Paul also brings up. He talks about a way that, the life, that a life that models the gospel affects those outside the church, those who aren't part of God's people those who don't know what, a gospel, what the gospel looks like or what it should look like. Uh, some of the keys are the phrases at the end of verses 5, 8, and 10. He says, so that the word of God may not be reviled, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We don't just model the gospel for those inside this building. We also model it for those outside. Let's flip around the commands that Paul gives. Because the opposite of these is what happens when we don't live like gospel people. When we don't live like gospel people, the Bible is reviled, slandered, hypocritical, seen as a joke. Others see what the Bible says and they see God's people disregarding it and ignoring it. God's people give those who hate the church material to speak badly about the church. People are distracted from the beauty of the gospel because of how God's people act. The gospel lays out this beautiful image of God redeeming and living with his people and his people living like it's true. Living so that those who hate the church don't have any real examples they can use against us. We have to live in a way that displays the beauty of the gospel, that adorns the doctrine of God, our Savior. 
But here's the thing. If you believe the gospel, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you are a gospel person. So this isn't about pretending or faking being a Christian. This is about living out the reality of your identity in Jesus. It's about living in the new life that you have been given and leaving the old life behind, the life that you've been freed from. The, we believe that the gospel is true, that the Bible lays out the best way to live, and that it's a truly beautiful picture of life here on earth. And it's a good thing when our lives reflect that. If we live good, peaceful lives that love one another and the community that we live in, it models the beauty of the gospel to those who are far from God. We do good things. We love others. We go out of our way for the sake of others. Not because we ourselves are good people, or because we believe that karma will bring all the good that we do back to us. We do it because we are the best example of the gospel that most people will ever see. You are the best model of the gospel that your friends, family, acquaintances, co-workers have. Think about that for a second. You are the best example of the gospel that your friends, family, co-workers, and acquaintances have. Why? That's where Paul goes in the next part of the passage. Starting in verse 11, he writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Number two is that God's people do good things because we are saved and changed by the gospel. God's people do good things because we are saved and changed by the gospel. Here's where Paul gets into the why. He started off with what Christians are supposed to do, with what it looks like to be someone who is changed and saved by the gospel. And now he explains why we should do this why we should live like gospel people, why we are already models of the gospel for those who don't yet believe. And in classic Paul fashion, we've got a run-on sentence that's filled with great teaching without wasting any words. So we're going to break it apart and look at what he's saying here. Starting in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This all starts and ends with God's grace. Not just a small portion of God's grace, but God's grace that is sufficient to save all people. That God's grace is infinite, unending, and the foundation for a gospel life. It begins and ends with God reaching out and offering salvation freely. Therefore, everything that follows is also freely given by God. You have been freely chosen by God to be a model of the gospel. You are the perfect person to be a model of the gospel to your friends and family. You are the one that God has chosen to work through. You are the one that God has chosen from before creation to be his model of the gospel. And he follows it through to the next step in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We're not perfect people. We are a people being perfected. That's the journey of sanctification. 
being made holy, purified. And this is one of the best descriptions of it in the Bible, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. No longer doing the kinds of things that you did in your old life and doing the kinds of things that gospel people do things that self-controlled people do, things that righteous, good people do, things that godly people do. And it's training. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. And it's definitely not going to be a straight line of improvement. Some days will be better than others. Some months, some years will be better. It's a battle. It's the Holy Spirit living within you, giving you gospel power to do the kinds of things that gospel people do. And as he fights against your flesh that has a powerful hold on your desires and on your heart, trying to keep you fighting, trying, that's trying to fight to keep you in the pattern of your old life. I think one of the most helpful quotes I've heard that describes our attitude toward this training is from John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. We go forward trying to do the kinds of things that self-controlled, good, righteous, godly people do by the grace of God. Just as our salvation was a gift, our journey toward holiness, toward purity, is also a gift. God gives us the power to no longer be who we were, to be who we are right now, and to be who we will be tomorrow. Because we know that this is not the end, that this present age, as Paul calls it, is where we are right now, but it's not the end. And so in verse 13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, we're waiting, but we're not waiting like you do in the waiting room for an appointment. Sitting in a chair, watching time slowly slip by, wondering what in the world's the point of scheduling it for 70, 745 if the doctor's not going to see you until 845 anyway. Hypothetically. Um, but when Jesus appears, that's not when everything gets started. That's when it gets kicked into the next gear. That's when we breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus is back, and now we can live in him even more fully. Paul calls it our blessed hope. Jesus coming back is the best thing that we could hope for. It's the thing that our entire lives are pointed to. It's when we become the models of the gospel that we were intended to be. It's when we stop being gospel people, being trained in self-control, righteousness, and godliness. When we actually become perfectly self-controlled, righteous, and godly. When the struggle to do the kinds of things that gospel people do ends and our lives as fully gospel people begins. And Paul summarizes all of this in verse 14. Who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. But it's not just a summary. It's also an extremely important point. He's clarifying for us what it means to be a gospel person living a gospel life. And the first part is that Jesus has given himself for you. Grace. Jesus freely gave his life on the cross, rose from the grave, and is reigning the king of kings for you. 
for me, for all of us here who are gospel people, for anyone here who isn't a gospel, gospel person, and for everyone outside these walls who isn't a gospel person. Jesus has died for you. And here's the thing, it's already done. Jesus has already given himself. All we have to do is accept the gift. That's the beauty of the gospel, that it begins and ends with Jesus. Not with me, not with you, not even with the holiest person in this room. Jesus, our great God and Savior. Second is that we as gospel people have been redeemed from our old life of sin. We've been freed from slavery to our flesh, freed from death and destruction that it wrecks on our minds, hearts, and soul. And again, it's the power of God that enables us to no longer do the kinds of things that we did before we knew Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that strengthens us and shows us the kinds of things that are left over from our old lives. Sin no longer reigns in our lives, but it does remain. And that's the work that each one of us is engaged in with the Holy Spirit. The work of sanctification, the work of becoming more and more pure, doing less and less of the things that we did when we were slaves to sin. And third is that we're not just called to stop doing something, we're called to something else. Gospel people are called to live as people that belong to Jesus. When we no longer do the things that are unloving, unjoyful, unpeaceful, impatient, unkind, evil, unfaithful, ungentle, unself-controlled, and when we do the things that are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, and self-control, that is when we are modeling gospel lives for everyone we encounter. And finally, zealous for good works literally passionate, energetic to do good things. Good deeds energize you. Not just what we culturally think about as good deeds, like picking up trash on the sidewalk or distributing food to those living on the street. Those are certainly good things and fall into this category, but it's even more than that. It's about having a heart that loves to do the opposite of your sinful desires and nature. It's about living the life that the Bible calls the good life being patient, doing the kinds of things that, people, that patient people do, being kind, doing the kinds of things that kind people do. But here's the thing, this isn't something that is going to come naturally to you. It's just not. It's what we were just talking about. You're in a battle. Your heart and mind are a battleground. It's World War III, the Holy Spirit, versus your sin and your sinful desires. And you're either helping one side or you're helping the other. You're either helping the Spirit overcome your sin and sinful desires, or you're helping sin keep a hold on your heart. There's no in-between. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Jesus wins. Holy Spirit wins. If you are a gospel person, the gospel will penetrate every part of you when Jesus comes again. And right now, Jesus is purifying you by the Holy Spirit. As you do more and more of the kinds of things that gospel people do, you will become more and more passionate to do good things. The more you surrender to Jesus and model a gospel life, the more you will be excited and energized by being a gospel person, doing the kinds of things that are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, and self-controlled. And then the chapter ends with, with this in verse, thir- verse 15. Declare these things, 
Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is a a particular note to Titus, but it's interesting where it falls here. This chapter is bookended with, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, and then this sentence at the end. Notice what he's saying here. Teach this. It's important for everyone to know it. Teach it proudly and help people listen and obey because it's good for them. They may not see the benefit immediately, but help them get there. He's not giving Titus permission to be a heavy-handed, tyrannical leader, someone who forces them to obey what they don't understand. It is obedience that will bring understanding and understanding that will bring obedience. These things are declared because it's good news. It's the beauty of the gospel on full display. It's the power of Jesus that enables us to be God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It's good, it's beautiful, but hard to see when sin has a hold in our lives. It's hard to see that God is good and that the Bible instructs us on how to live a good life when we hear the whisper of our sinful desires and flesh in our ears. We have to walk in confidence that God is good, that we are gospel people who are empowered by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to live gospel lives. We have to live knowing that we have been chosen by God to be models of the gospel to our friends, family, co-workers, acquaintances. That's the confidence that Paul is telling Titus to live out and instill in the church. We live confident that the Bible is good news to those who don't believe. And so Paul starts off this passage with the what? With the instructions on what it looks like for all of God's people to be models of the gospel. To live gospel lives as gospel people. Doing the kinds of things that we have been saved by Jesus to do. Doing the kinds of things that people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit do. So that those who are God's people can see what their lives are supposed to look like. So that they can see firsthand examples of what it looks like to be a person who's redeemed. Someone who's changed by the gospel. But also so that those who don't yet know Jesus can see what it looks like to know him. The gospel needs to be explained and proclaimed, but the gospel leads to action. It's not just about being a gospel person, it's about living a gospel life. Being a person who is saved and empowered by the grace of God, who is constantly working, who is constantly fighting to do less and less of the things that they did before they knew Jesus. Working to do more of the kinds of things that are self-controlled, righteous, and godly to be a people who are passionate about doing good things. For most of you, this message probably isn't anything new. In simple terms, it could be summed up as, there's people who see you and what you do. Do good stuff, don't do bad stuff, have a great week, drive home safely. But please hear this. It's going to be a short and simple application this week, too. I want to encourage you to do this. Take some time today or this week to sit down and write down the kind of person you want to be. If you need some help, Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is a great place to start. But what I want you to do is write down a couple things. Patient, kind, peaceful. And then underneath those, write down some things that that kind of person does. A patient person doesn't expect people to work on their timeline. A kind person starts by asking someone how their day is going. A peaceful person initiates reconciliation. And then pray over that list. 
Pray that the Holy Spirit would provide you with opportunities to be that kind of person, to do those kinds of things. And here's another one, bonus for you. Find people with high character, people that you want to be like, and spend time around them. Try to be with them in their sphere of influence. Grab lunch with them periodically. Go on hikes, wash dishes with them. I don't care. Whatever you do, try to be around them, not just to hear about their life, but to see it. See the way that their life models the gospel, and soon yours will too. We should be passionate about doing good things, about growing to be more and more like Jesus. It should affect the way that we set up our schedule, the people we spend time with, the way that we spend our money, everything. And we don't do that by making huge changes and swings in our lives, although sometimes we need to. Most often it's in small things. Small changes to live more like gospel people. Becoming passionate about doing more and more of the kinds of things that God's people do. That gospel people do.